the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. Monday, July 11th, 2022. We're sorry we were just doing some last minute uh, producing uh, uh, as the show is getting started, but we're all good. Got a lot to do with you today. Uh, Brandon Weikert will be with us. I think John Hinderocker is going to join us. Uh, and um, I'll do my monologue at the top of the third hour. Hope you all had a great weekend. The big story, uh, and I heard an interesting interview with Monica Crowley that Seb Gorka did in the uh, in the previous uh, on the previous platform here, uh, I'll ask your opinions about it. But the big story uh, that that everyone's really talking about today is not uh, is not only the falling numbers for the falling approval numbers for Joe Biden, but that the media and we've talked about this here and there, but that the media is now concertedly giving a lot of air, a lot of oxygen to the questions about Joe Biden's capabilities and his firmities. Let me give you the summary that uh, Byron York provides. Sounding the alarm over Joe Biden, President Joe Biden's reelection prospects have seemed doubtful for months now. Many voters think the nation's oldest president ever, he turns 80 in November, is too old for the job and is certainly too old for a second term. Many others think he's simply doing a bad job. Many think both, and that includes Democrats who voted for Biden as well as Republicans who didn't. Now we seem to have reached a turning point, Byron York says. In recent days, the most influential media voice among Democrats, the New York Times, has published two articles that appear to lay a foundation for pushing a reluctant Biden out of a reelection race in 2024. The first was published on July 9th with the headline, quote, at 79, Biden is testing the boundaries of age and the presidency, close quote. Don't be fooled by the gentleness of the headline. The article clearly suggested Biden is too old to be president. It reported that Biden's Middle East trip was originally going to be part of his European trip last month until aides realized that putting the two destinations together in one trip would have, quote, made an arduous 10-day overseas trek and that such extended travel might be unnecessarily taxing for a 79-year-old president, close quote. One official even called the idea, quote, unquote, crazy. Biden's age acknowledged that, quote, he looks older than just a few years ago, close quote, as The New York Times reported, calling that a political liability that cannot be solved by traditional White House stratagems like staff shakeups or new communication plans. While well, the New York Times called Biden's energy level, quote, impressive for a man of his age, close quote, it nevertheless said Biden's energy is not what it was. And some aides quietly watch out for him. Quote, Biden often shuffles when he walks and aides worry he will trip on a wire, close quote. He stumbles over words during public events and they hold their breath to see if he makes it to the end without a gaffe, close quote. Those public appearances have fueled the perception that Biden is too old to be president. The article said his speeches can be flat and listless. He sometimes loses his train of thought, has trouble summoning names or appears momentarily confused. During the European trip, the paper said Biden's fellow leaders, quote, protectively treated him 
like a distinguished elderly relative, close quote. That's what you want the United States portraying itself on the world stage to world leaders, isn't it? A president of the United States who needs to be cared for like a doddering old man by other foreign leaders. In all, President Biden's age has become an uncomfortable issue for Democrats. Quote, if he mounts another campaign in 2024, Mr. Biden would be asking the country to select a leader who would be 86 at the end of his tenure, the New York Times said. Testing the outer boundaries of age. Testing the outer boundaries of age. For many voters, the simpler way of saying that is just too old. Now, on top of that story, the New York Times has published a devastating poll, the paper conducted with Siena College, this New York Times Siena poll. The survey found that 64% of Democratic voters want a different nominee in 2024. That's what you call a super majority. 64% of the Democratic Party want a different nominee, and only 26% want the party to renominate Joe Biden. On top of that, the poll shows Biden's job performance among all voters at 33%. And on top of that, just 13% of those surveyed believe the country is on the right track. Think of that. 13% believe the country's on the right track. That's the New York Times. Last week, we gave you a poll. Who was it? it? Was a Monmouth? I think it was Monmouth. We gave you the Monmouth University poll that showed uh, something like 10% thought the country was on the right track. New York Times, okay, it's the New York Times. They have it at 13% thinking the country is on the right track. The New York Times writes, quote, the president is hemorrhaging support, close quote. He's bleeding out, politically bleeding out. That's what hemorrhaging support can only possibly mean. And what is it about Biden that particularly worries the party's voters in this poll? Age. Concerns about his age ranked at the top of the list for the Democratic voters who want the party to find an alternative. Now, let me just say, it's not just the age in a vacuum. Some people can be that age and move quickly. Some people can be that age and attract younger voters. Ronald Reagan had a knack for having younger voters following this oldest of Republican presidents. Donald Trump had a knack in his age of attracting younger voters and not stumbling and not sounding like he was uh, and not sounding like it was going to be a car crash at the end of every sentence with a gaffe in the middle for good measure. The second highest concern is Biden's job performance. The paper reported, quote, he hasn't done what I think he's capable of doing as president to help the American people, as one Kelly King factory worker in Greensburg, Indiana, put it. As a Democrat, I figured he would really be on our side and put us on the right track. And I just feel like he's not. Close quote. The poll offered only one glimmer of good news, which is odd that they did it this way because I don't particularly believe it. But there it is. 44 to 41 hypothetical matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Joe Biden wins 44 to 41. I just am not accepting that. I, 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 don't, I don't buy that that is possibly true. I think that's still the problem that got or may have gotten Joe Biden elected in the first place. This notion that we prefer old and confused to puissant, powerful, and yet distasteful. I don't think at the end of the day when you have age leading to incomprehensibility and incoherence and policies that don't work – 
that it gets you reelected over someone who had policies that worked but whose temperament angered you. I just don't. I just don't think the campaign shakes out that way. But all of this does boil down to one ineluctable fact, doesn't it? And that's that Biden is in real trouble. Now, the question I wanted to explore with you is twofold. One, my crisis communications hat gets put on in a situation like this because you think, well, what can Joe Biden do to fix this? And I don't think you can fix this. This is not, as the New York Times said, and as it quoted other uh, staffers, this is not a communications problem. They have shuffled around the communications team quite a bit. It's not a communications problem. It's a much deeper problem. So some might initially have the idea, well, Joe Biden can say, I'm planning not to run again in 2024, and thus I'm doubling down on this tenure. That doesn't work. That doesn't work because people know what that means precisely. It means he's trying to let you know that you will give him, if you just give him a little bit of a chance, he won't stalk us forever or another four more years. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work to admit failure. Well, listen, (laughs) ask any Republican who's ever apologized or any conservative who's ever apologized or better yet, any liberal who's ever apologized. Are people satisfied with the apology or is that just the first prick of blood in the water full of great white sharks? Of course it is. And you know it is. So the question I heard Seb Gorka talking about with Monica Crowley in um, if you listen to the station, you would have heard it uh, on Seb Gorka's show. He comes on right before me obviously. And Monica Crowley was saying the Democrats have really a bench of three. It's Kamala Harris, it's Hillary Clinton, and it's Michelle Obama. Well, folks, none of those are starters. And Seb was right about Michelle Obama. He said Michelle Obama's not running. I agree with Seb 100% on this. Michelle Obama does not want to run. First of all, she likes her life. Second of all, she hates criticism. I mean, loathes it. You can't do this with thin skin. She has the thinnest. You can't, it it would just, it won't even get her, it won't ever get her out of the gate, how thin her skin is. So it's to me, probably, well, it's probably Hillary Clinton, Pete Buttigieg, or perhaps Elizabeth Warren or Gavin Newsom. I'd love to know what you think, or if you think I'm wrong, about Hillary or Michelle, you can let me know. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you are interested in a really unique investment opportunity, check out my friends at Y-Refi. The investors there do really well by doing good. They're helping people dig out of debt the right way by paying off their debts with dignity and getting all kinds of great ancillary benefits along the way. The investment is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized and secure portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and R-E-F-Y.com. Or you can give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855 855- Three one six three zero eight seven. They're based here locally. You can go visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you about what it is that they do and let it speak for itself. Investyrefi.com. Do well by doing good. Uh, having having sketched out the stories about Joe Biden and whether he can 
run for re-election, frankly, whether he can even finish this presidency out. Um, it might be good to hear what the Democrats uh, or the intellectual Democrats are saying. Um, here's a professor uh, over at, uh, at the University of Maryland, Jason Nichols, writing in Newsweek. And I just thought it would be interesting to share you what, how, how, how they come to this and how they're looking at it. He writes, it was the meme of the week. Joe's got to go. If, like every liberal news outlet, took part in a week of scathing critique of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, and many even from the president's own party, suggesting he commit to not running in 2024. It's not just wishful thinking. If the Democrats successfully push President Biden to retire, they will be doing something that Republicans refused to do after two impeachments. Again, this is a Democrat writing. After two impeachments, a horrendous pandemic response, and a detailed attempt to undermine American democracy. They will be tacitly admitting they picked the wrong person to run the country. It's hard to see how they recover from that politically for generations to come. I want to pause on that paragraph before I read you the rest, just so you can understand why the comparisons here are disanalogous. They're disanalogous for exactly the reasons the poll numbers Byron York was reporting out of the New York Times gave you. There's no love for Joe Biden within the Democratic Party. There is tremendous love and was tremendous love for Donald Trump within the Republican Party. That's the difference. That's the difference. It wasn't a political calculation about Trump. It was dismissal of ridiculousness. If you need a good example of what I mean by ridiculousness, uh, the Democrats think, and they're still writing, that Donald Trump had a horrendous, what was the, how did he put it? A horrendous COVID response, a horrendous pandemic response. That's how the Democrats ordered a horrendous pandemic response. Yes, Joe Biden capitalized on that. He did so in the final debate. He said anyone who has over 200,000 deaths on his watch is not qualified to be president. And then Joe Biden presided over more than double that number. That's the difference between a horrendous response and a, and a, <laughs> And a doing the best you can response, I suppose. It was a novel coronavirus new. That is to say, when Donald Trump had it, there was no vaccine and there was unremitting and unrelenting criticism and politicalization of the issue. Joe Biden comes in with a year of experience. It's no lo- a year of experience with the virus. It's no longer novel. And there's a vaccine and more people died. So don't tell me Trump's response was horrendous. I'm going to talk a little bit about how the virus is being politicized again in my monologue in the third hour. But one interesting point to note, I don't think I get into it. Maybe I'll have time to amend it when I think about it. But if it's about this Arizona Republic story on the front page of the Arizona Republic today and how COVID is back and what we need to do about it, mostly panic, obviously, that's the first that is on that the first uh, mature response you get from the public health professionals these days. First panic, um, even though we don't know what we're talking about. Sure, it is. But there's an interesting little line in there about how uh, poor people, uh, you know, how the poor people and the unemployed aren't able to get the free testing that they used to because the federal money for that has dried up. Guess what? That's on Joe Biden's watch. That's on Joe Biden's call. Okay, these free tests not available anymore for the impoverished. Why? Because Joe Biden. So don't talk to me about 
Donald Trump's horrendous pandemic response. Joe Biden's was worse. And don't tell me that the Democrats would be doing what the Republicans refused to do. There's a vast difference. The vast difference is Republicans didn't buy the nonsense about the criticism of Donald Trump, and they loved him. The Democrats today don't love Joe Biden, and they're openly admitting he's ineffectual. No Republican was admitting Donald Trump was ineffectual because he wasn't. Did he have success at every level? No. But was it one of the more successful presidencies on the things he promised? You bet. So listen to this. Let me go back to this column in Newsweek by this Democrat. He writes, this is not to say that Joe Biden's presidency has been entirely successful. (laughs) Okay, where's the success? Find it for me, please. Here's the uh, Democrat. Many feel he has been unable to secure important legislative victories or fulfill campaign promises, despite having a majority in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. President Biden has failed to secure voting rights or police reform, both big issues for African-Americans, who also happen to be the Democrats' most loyal and important voting bloc. I'll add that this Democrat writing is an African-American, and maybe that helps explain why he's adding that into the story. He writes... Continues to write, the president also appears helpless in the fight to protect bodily autonomy and health care for women and girls in the wake of the reversal of Roe versus Wade, while Biden's signature piece of legislation, Build Back Better, died in the Senate where he couldn't even rally consensus with his own party. Stop and think about all of that for a moment. All of that. And we could throw in the energy crisis right now, too, if we wanted, as well as inflation. This is Joe Biden with a Democratic Senate and House of Representatives, and he can't get any of it done. That's interesting, isn't it? Doesn't that just give you a moment of pause? What the heck is the problem with the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C., or nationally? They own Washington, D.C., and they can't get it done. They cannot get it done. Now, this writer, this professor goes on to say, these failures have been compounded by unforced errors like the sloppy exit from Afghanistan. Unforced error. This is how they're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about this unforced. Do you recall that every military advisor of Joe Biden's told him not to do this in Afghanistan the way he was planning to do it? Every single one from Millie on down, from Austin and Millie on down, they told him not to do it. They testified as much. I don't know how it's unforced when your experts tell you not to do something that you do. Bill, you know sports better than I do. That's a forced error, not an unforced error, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth, 34 after the hour, brings us the great John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He brings us our culture and economy update every day at this time. And you can uh, get in touch with him or read more about his operation at GrandCanyonPlanning.com, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. He also has his own radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you today? Fantastic. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Have you been following we don't have to get into this right now mm-hmm. uh but have you been following any of this back and forth between jeff uh elon musk and twitter 
A little bit, yes. It's it's kind of interesting, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, yep. you know, I often will quote an old proverb that when you jump for joy, make sure no one's uh, removing the ground beneath your feet. <laughs> when a lot of people were jumping for joy over this purchase and the res- restoration of free speech, well, maybe not, huh? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not now. Yeah. We're going to see how it all plays out. Yeah. Uh, a lot of lawyers are going to get very wealthy mm-hmm. very soon, aren't they? I was they? thinking of that. A lot of class action oh, my gosh. shareholders. Oh, my gosh. There's going to be a flood of things going Oh, my on. gosh. And those representing Elon and those mm-hmm. representing presenting Twitter. I mean, this this litigation could easily hit uh, 25 million within the first month. Easily. Oh, that's a kick in the bucket. Yeah, for him. yeah, 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 it really could. Anyway, um, the markets are uh, moving uh, downward today, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing I wanted to ask you about, John, was this odd story about home buyers canceling deals at the highest rate since the start of the pandemic. Yeah. Talk to me what CN- about what CNBC is saying here. Well, it looks like as we're looking at the statistics, of course, we re- realize the the amount of uh, growth that the real estate market has had over the past number of years. And many people, of course, during COVID, thinking they want to get out of the cities and move to the suburbs and things like that. And even people leaving cert- certain states and moving elsewhere, such as from California to Arizona here, driving yep. prices higher and higher and higher. Now, one of the main things that we saw back then was is that we had – Low, low interest rates. Now, with the Fed raising rates, as we've been talking about, mortgage rates have hit some higher, much higher numbers than where they were just 12 months ago. Is it almost, almost double? double? It's almost yeah. double, isn't almost it? Almost double. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And so those who could qualify for homes at that lower interest rate all of a sudden now are unable to qualify. So they're looking for housing that has to be either... Uh, less value, or they're going to have to put more money down. If you don't have more money, what are you going to do? So it's just becoming a real challenge for uh, a lot of people out there. So we're starting to see uh, prices falling, and we're starting to see a lot of people backing out of these, uh, these purchases that they have, whether it's new home construction as well as resales. Uh, the numbers are showing that uh, the prices have been coming down. People are backing out of these uh, transactions. And I think it's going to take a little while for people to settle in here and to see exactly where we're going with this, Seth. But I would say if you're thinking about buying a home right now, maybe, just maybe, you may want to wait a couple of months and let, let's see how all this plays out because you might be able to buy that same house for a little bit less than what you can buy it for today. Can you see how my lizard brain kind of saw this story and went over to Elon Musk backing out of the Twitter <laughs> deal a little bit? I mean, the stakes kind of are Kind of the same different. thing, isn't it? Well, the rules are a little different, yeah. right? <laughs> not, the rules are a little different. But you said something that I, I guess I, I, I knew to be true and never thought too deeply about. Uh, validate it or verify it for me, John. If if I hear you right, um, if the interest rates are three percent, right, as opposed to six percent, or what are they now? Five and three quarters, somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Five five point seven five percent, something like that. Um, it's harder to get the loan based on your credit history when the interest rate is higher. That didn't really dawn on me to think about too yeah. terribly much, but it must be true, right? Yeah, because, People are more yeah. easily willing to give out money at lower interest rates than they are at higher. Well, what it is is someone can qualify for it with yeah. less income, yeah. and yeah. that's that's the difference, right? Okay. If, if, if your loan to value and your uh, income you know, versus expenses, those are all the things that the – that the banks are looking at, the lenders are looking at, uh, they have certain ratios that they, you need to fall within. And if your income doesn't meet the, uh, you know, the criteria that they set uh, for you to be able to borrow, yeah. then all of a sudden that interest rate, that quarter of a point, half of a point, or 1% or 2% even cases, 
you know, from last year, all of a sudden it prices you out there of is. what you were That's qualified for yeah. originally. That's see, word on wealth. I, I learned a lot about money <laughs> from you, not just right. uh, stocks and houses. John, thank you. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow, and I get to see you tomorrow night. I'm looking so yeah. forward to that. Same here. We're going to have a lot here. of fun. All right, buddy. Take us yep. out. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Tippett, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Request an appointment. Thank you, guys. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, and it is a delight to uh, welcome back to the show one of my absolute favorite people, John Hinderocker, co-founder, co-publisher of the Powerline blog. Not only one of my favorite people, one of the keenest uh, political and legal minds. John, welcome back. I hope you're having a good summer. Oh, it's been a beautiful summer, Seth. Uh, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. I want to get you to Arizona and uh, show you around one of these days. We just can't do it, and uh, we just can't do it in July or August. <laughs> but it's it's Minnesota's where you want to be in July and August if you're from Arizona. But I did want to talk to you about a lot of stuff that's taking place outdoors and indoors in Washington D.C. Your peace protests. There's and ours. You did a great job here, and you picked up off the story of Brett Kavanaugh uh, effectively being chased out of a D.C. restaurant. I think you and I both know that restaurant pretty well. But do you want to tell the audience what you were getting at, and then we'll drill down on this just a little bit. Well, you know, liberals have got a kind of a schizophrenic attitude toward uh, protests and demonstrations. Uh, some of them, I think, are just wonderful. You know, George Floyd's riots, uh, which were not demonstrations at all. You know, they were they were riots, but they were universally applauded by the Democrats. And on the other hand, when you when you have um, when you have demonstrations that are in fact peaceful, whether it's you know getting hundreds of thousands of pro lifers to Washington once a year, or or maybe it's the uh, the Dutch farmers, you know, protesting against being driven out of business by green policies. Though you know those protests are terrible, and I think what we're seeing in Washington, where we have Brett Kavanaugh really chased out of a restaurant, and the rest of the diners, you know, harassed and inconvenienced, and the Democrats think this is great. Peter Ducey asked Corrine. Uh, uh, Jean Pierre, you know, the White House press secretary, if, if the White House is okay with this, and and she was kind of taken aback, like, why not? Uh, this is the essence of democracy, you know. This is peaceful protest. <laughs> it's great, and and so I think it really tells us a lot about the the worldview and the ethics of of the left. You know, uh, her predecessor, Jen Psaki, right? Uh, gosh, it took me a moment <laughs> to remember that name. Jen Psaki, her predecessor, was asked about those protests in front of the House back when she had the tenure, when she had the microphone, John. Remember what she said? She said, well, I guess there's a law, but I hope the protests remain peaceful. I mean, basically giving the semaphore a semaphoric signal that they, the, the administration's position is we hope that the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the breaking of the law continues and we don't want a let up on the protests in front of the justice's house, right? Well, well, that's right, and and here again, this is rather shocking. Um, for, you know, for a couple of reasons. Number one, as you say, these protests are in fact illegal under federal law. Yep. And Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has no intention of enforcing that law. That's clear. That law is going unenforced. And meanwhile, we've already had one would-be assassin, heavily armed, arrested in front of Brett Kavanaugh's house. 
And um, it really raises the question of what are the Democrats trying to do here? You know, they are encouraging uh, what they call peaceful protest, which is, in fact, harassment, often illegal harassment. Uh, and there's already been one would-be assassin. I, I think you have to take seriously the idea that the Democrats would like to see one or more Supreme Court justices assassinated while Joe Biden is still president. You know, uh, there's so many elements to this, but let me let me try one that I don't think many people have talked about much. John, I'd love your take on this. Maybe may, maybe wearing your 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 lawyer's hat as much as your uh, political uh, observational hat, which is the animus Brett Kavanaugh has uh, uh, elicited from the left. You know, of all the Republican uh, appointees to the Supreme Court, in a way, he's I think it's fair to say maybe the most moderate of them. I think I could get away with making that argument. And yet, why is he the one that draws so much of the ire from them? Maybe Alito comes in second, but they they, 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 they have nothing to say about Well, Gorsuch. Alito, it's kind of ironic, yeah. seems to be down the line, even though he's the author of the Dobbs opinion, right. which is, uh, of course, you right. know, the ultimate. If you're uh, if you're uh, if you're a liberal, right? And Clarence Thomas, you know, he has he, he I, fair enough. He he gets as much ire as anyone. You're right. You're right about the Clarence Thomas but, one. But, sure, but but your point is well taken, and I almost made the same point. You know about what we're why Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, you know, he, he is by temperament a moderate guy. He's certainly a conservative, um, and but, but not a reliable conservative vote, so to speak, if we have to talk in those ways, right? I mean, he we, we have to worry yeah, about him a yeah. little less than John Roberts, but not a lot less. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And so why the special yeah. hatred seemingly of Brett Kavanaugh? I think some of it goes back to his confirmation yeah, here. Yeah, sure. You know, when they when, when they came up with he this woman them. who told yeah. an obviously false story, in my opinion. Um, about this alleged assault, you know, at this party that never happened. Uh, and and then they came up with this other, remember this other woman? I don't think she ever actually testified because it was so crazy, but she, she was talking about these drug punch bowls. I think she was a Michael Avenatti client, if I'm not mistaken, John. Yeah, I, 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 she was. Yeah. <laughs> And didn't sure, didn't a major right. network like CBS give her a whole profile too? NBC or CBS, one of the two. It wasn't ABC, but one of the two major ones did. Right, right, right. They would have loved to run with it, but the whole thing fell apart. It was so ridiculous. And at the end, I don't think she, you know, she ever testified. And the Democrats tried to just forget her. But no, I think the fact that they that they invented these bizarre uh, stories. Um, to try to fight Kavanaugh's nomination. I think there's a hangover from that. You know, I wonder if it's that. And also, you know, this this shades into the conspiracy theory thing a little bit, but I think it's there. At least it's worth putting on the table. And that is Brett Kavanaugh was also part and parcel of the star prosecution against the Clintons. And I wonder if there's a lot of institutional memory and hatred over that, too, that maybe draws an additional level of ire. It, it, it not provable, but it is there. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I'm not sure how many people remember that nowadays. Um, I, I Just know. the Democratic retreads, the Democratic Party retreads in D.C. There's a lot of them there, maybe. But the other part of your piece that I thought, you know, John, I would like to explore with you if you have time, maybe into the next segment, if I can keep you just a little bit longer, is is this point you made. I talk about this all the time, which is 
the manifestation of the totalitarian impulse of everything being political. You say it's one defining feature of the totalitarian regime is that everything is political. Yes. Do you remember that phrase early in the neo-Marxist 70s, Shulamit Firestone, the personal is political? Do you remember all that? Long time ago. Oh, absolutely. Let me take Even the break. Then, Let me take the quick you know, break and have you weigh yeah. in on that when we come back. Can I do? Can I keep you one more short All second? Right. Absolutely. Be, uh, thank you, John. It's a short one. We'll be right back. We'll hear more from John Hinderocker on three things you probably never thought you'd hear on talk radio or John Hinderocker thought he'd ever be asked about in his life. <laughs> Shulamit Firestone and neo-Marxism. We'll be right back. I'm Seth Leapson. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Hinderocker from the Powerline blog is our guest. And we're talking about one of his posts today. Both of them are, well, everything he posts is great. But uh, the one protest theirs and ours, I'm going to talk about his media post a little bit later in the show. But, John, you put this great line in there about the mark of our totalitarian moment and impulse is that everything is political. And I noticed that when I, uh, for a long time, I've noticed it. But I thought in sharp relief, think about those kindergarten teachers in Florida for a moment who were crying their eyes out because they could no longer tell their five-year-old students about their sex lives. Because to them, they needed validation from five-year-olds. Everything about their lives is political. Everything about the left has to get a political countenance or sanction, doesn't it? So this is this is a basic element of a totalitarian mind. There's no such thing as, as private life. And and we see that. So that for example, now in Washington DC, if you're a conservative, you can't go out to dinner with your family. You'll be harassed. The other diners will be harassed. You'll be driven out of the restaurant. There's there's no concept of, of respect for people you disagree with. There's no concept of tolerance for people you disagree with. Anyone who disagrees with you, his life, he must be destroyed. His life must be made miserable. And this is a very, very dangerous mentality. This is basically a Stalinist mentality. And it's what we're seeing today from major elements of the Democratic Party. You know, you said destroyed, and that's not too strong of a word. Because we've put together our own. You've probably seen versions of others. We've, and I won't waste your time with it right now, but we've put together our own list of Democrats, uh, you know, from Cory Booker to, you know, the famous Maxine Waters, one to Eric Holder, literally calling for violence against, uh, against Republican office holders and administration officials in places of a public accommodation like a restaurant. I mean, they're not that shy about it, frankly, John. Well, they aren't, and it isn't just restaurants either. you got Chuck Schumer, you know, raging against the conservative Supreme Court justices by name, I think on the steps of the Supreme Court. It was. It absolutely was. Yes, you bet. They won't know what hit them. They won't know what hit them. They're going to reap the whirlwind. You know, someday someone's going to get seriously hurt. It almost happened to Brett Kavanaugh with the would-be assassin. Someday, uh, this, this frenzy that they whip their followers into is going to result in very serious violence. And it's some piece of remark, too, isn't it, John, that not even the president, for that matter, the vice president or really any serious administration official can say one word about the fact that a Supreme Court justice was nearly a, there was an assassination attempt on his life. They, they, they have not it brought themselves shock- to condemn it. It is a shocking thing that it really is. 
and and we saw this the other day with this this map of you know White House press secretary who was kind of puzzled at the idea that you'd see something wrong with 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 people going out to their family or their friends to eat in a restaurant and being harassed by Democrats. Well, what's wrong with that? All right, you know when, this is a dangerous mentality. When the weather lets up, you and I can go to any restaurant in Phoenix, and I'll take you to the best of ones when you come here. I promise you that, John. Okay, we'll we'll find some some order of business for you here. All right. I look forward maybe, to it. Maybe uh, sitting in and, and covering for me again, even. <laughs> All right. I love you, John. Say hi to the rest of the family, and we'll be right back. I'm Seth Liebson. Brandon Weikert up next. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.